0: Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of a series on governing during pandemic. We're talking with local elected officials, other public officials, and community activists to learn about how local governments and organizations are responding and adapting to our shifting needs during this public health crisis. This week, we're um, thinking a lot about what it means to stay at home. And when the places that we typically go to, to to socialize or to be in community are no longer available to us. A lot of the time I know for myself, Casey, I don't know about you, but I've been spending a lot of time outside going for walks with my dogs and spending time with my kids. But as I'm reflecting on this, that's not available to everybody.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's kind of getting this sense of cabin fever right now, where we've been stuck indoors for so long and we just want to get out. Um, And I think it's really natural to just go outside because that's a place where you can engage in social distancing. You can safely have other folks around you because there's a lot of space, and yet you can have some sort of entertainment that is, you know, breaking the daily grind of, okay, I got up, now what? Let's turn on Netflix for five hours, whatever it is, right, that the outdoors gives us that sense of, you know, doing something different. And it's a release from being just trapped in home. But the problem is, sure, I have trails near me that I can hike and I have a large yard that I can uh, take my dogs out and play in. But does everybody have that same level of access? I I I think probably not.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the people um, that I know is doing a ton of the work in this space um, is uh, Chanel Smith-Wiggum. Um, she's the, uh, the Ohio director for the Trust for Public Land. And I, uh, I know that even before COVID-19, she was doing a ton of work in this space. Uh, and so I, I, I'm really looking forward to talking to her this week about how this has shaped her work and why these public spaces and these green spaces are so important.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to hear what she has to tell us about access to to green space and parks, which is always important, frankly, but it's especially important now.
0: Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Today we have Chanel Smith-Wiggum. She has 16 years of experience building cross-sector partnerships to solve one of the biggest issues facing the world, climate change. With a sophisticated understanding of what motivates stakeholders, she's headed successful community-wide initiatives that center and lift under-resourced communities. A dynamic speaker, Smith Wiggum has shared the stage with Bill Nye the Science Guy, former EPA Chiefs Christine Todd-Whitman, and Lisa P. Jackson championing um, the need to guarantee that community voices are heard and integrated into park development projects. Chanel has a background in community organizing and an MBA from the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. Since 2017, as the state director for the Trust for Public Land in Ohio, Chanel has managed the conservation of nearly 1,000 acres of land, representing $12 million in fair market value, and won an L.L. Bean Community Impact Award to renovate a community's basketball court into an artistic centerpiece and community gathering place. Thank you for joining us, Chanel. Thank you for having me, Ashley and Casey.
1: So, Chanel, for our listeners, tell us, what is the Trust for Public Land?
2: So, thanks for asking that question. Many people don't know who we are or what we do, um, but we've been around for nearly 50 years, and our mission is to create parks and protect land for people, um, ensuring healthy, livable communities for generations to come. And that's whether it's close to home parks or within an iconic national park like the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Uh, The Trust for Public Land believes that all people deserve access uh, to quality space um, and to benefit from nature.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your role at the Trust for Public Land and and really what drew you to this this work?
2: So there's many things that drew me to this particular work. You know, one of the things that we know at the Trust for Public Land and firsthand is the power of lands, parks, and green schoolyards and trails and what they bring to communities. Um, They bring us together. Um, They also help mitigate climate change. Uh, We know that when you are closer and have these outdoor experiences that your health improves, both mental health and physical health. Um, And for me, my story comes from growing up in a community where I had a park next door, but I also had a petrochemical plant next door. And so for me, that petrochemical plant kept me from going to the park because I was always rightfully so, weirded out by the sounds and the smells coming from the petrochemical plant. And by the time I was age 30, I dealt with cancer twice. Um, And so I literally can know the experience of what it means to live in a community where there is no environmental justice. Um, And I've dedicated my career and my life to making sure that kids don't grow up with the same experience that I did when growing up um, in a small community in Ohio.
1: Now, Chanel, you've been involved in environmental justice and organizing work for really a very long time. Can you tell us a bit about your organizing and advocacy work in Northeast
2: Ohio? Yeah, so ironically, my organizing started when I was a student, a political science student at Kent State University, and I was the president of the NAACP chapter there. And while I was in college, um, Hurricane Katrina happened. Um, Of course, during that time, I didn't have the context of understanding climate change or um, the environmental impacts could have on communities. I didn't even at that time make the connection between my own life experience and environmental injustice. But I was so moved, like many people across the country, you know, seeing the images of people stranded on their rooftops and and just the devastation that Hurricane Katrina wreaked on that particular community from not only in New Orleans but also in in Biloxi, Mississippi. So that following March. Somehow, some way, I convinced the university to support um, over 500 students, um, faculty, and uh, the community to get on these big buses and travel down to East Biloxi, Mississippi to spend a week there helping to rebuild and bring hope to the community there. And that was really a pivotal moment for me, right? I had, all, I had been organizing on campus, right? And that was, you know, such centered on Kent State University in, in a very micro way. Uh, making sure that students felt comfortable and welcome there. But it became something different to mobilize people to travel. I can't even think of how many hours it was, but it was uh, many hours on a bus to East Biloxi, Mississippi from Kent, Ohio. And that weekend was really inspiring to me and really sort of set me off on this journey of, of organizing.
1: So can you tell us a little bit more, what is environmental justice? Um, and is, is, it, is it just about seeking some sort of climate change resolution? Or is there more to that? And what does this work look like that you're doing in Northeast Ohio and in Ohio in general?
2: So it, it, it is more than that. I mean, I guess if you were to put it in simple terms, EJ, environmental justice means guaranteeing equitable access for all people to have healthy environments um, where they live, play, work, and even pray, right? And making sure that I live on the east side of Cleveland um, in the Glenville neighborhood, making sure that we have the same access to green space, that we have high quality air quality, right? Um, Making sure that we have access to clean water, the same levels that other maybe suburban communities throughout Cleveland may have that we don't have here on, on the east side of Cleveland. Um, And so my work has been, you know, over the years, I've worked on things like energy efficiency and solar, but most recently in the last three years, I've been focused on access to green space and in particular access to parks and making sure that all Clevelanders live within a 10 minute walk of a high quality park because of all the many benefits we receive from being out in nature. Ironically, right now, during this um, COVID-19 pandemic, How many articles have we seen saying, get outdoors, get outdoors, so you can basically not lose your mind being in the house, right? But also, as I read those articles, I know that, you know, 28 million kids in this country do not have access to a a park within 10-minute walk of their home, right? 100 million people don't have access. In Cleveland, about 83% of Clevelanders do have access. But what do they have access to, right? And that's where the justice piece comes comes into play. Like, I may have a local park that I can walk to in 10 minutes, but what's going to be there when I get there? What is my walk to that park? And so these are the environmental injustice issues that I'm really hyper-focused on right now um, during this time in my career.
1: So you've been doing this for such a long time. I'm sure that there's a lot of challenges that you've come up against. What are some of your favorite memories or successes from this work, from overcoming these challenges that you've faced?
2: Yeah, there's a new challenge every day doing this work. Um, and I, and I, and I think because in particular in Cleveland and Ohio, um, I, you know, we do have some elected leaders who are champions of this work. But when it comes to environmental justice, in particular with the health lens, it's not always looked at in in a way to address systematic issues or to do this work at scale. And so that's the biggest challenge. And the way that we are addressing that challenge is how can we create pilot programs, pilot projects to say, look, if we were to build a high quality park in this particular neighborhood, you know, these are all the benefits that can come with that, you know, health benefits, climate benefits even economic development benefits. All these things can be brought together. So one of the things that we recently did last year is we worked with the community in Cleveland called, well, the neighborhood is Ohio City, but the community is Lakeview Terrace. And we worked with them. Um, Lakeview Terrace is the oldest public housing facility in the country. Eleanor Roosevelt came here in the 1930s to open it up. And it's cut off by the highway in Ohio City. So if you're up at the bars on West 25th, you probably don't even know that Lakeview Terrace exists. And that's how the community feels. And so we worked with them to um, bring a particular green space to them to life, you know, renovating a basketball court. It sounds something really small, but to them it was really big because they don't have any sort of amenities for them like that. And not only did we renovate the basketball court, we painted an amazing mural mural on top of the court um, with the local artist, Glenn Infante, which, the art brings together two hands, uh, symbolizing Ohio City and Lakeview Terrace coming together. And so, how can you use art and public space to really build so social cohesion and also democracy? Right. And so that's the other part that we are working on as we do these projects.
0: That's fantastic. I hearing those stories is really powerful because, you know, so often the conversations are about, you know, large scale, like if it's small, then how do we, how do we amp it up? How do we grow it? And remembering that, even at the small scale, it can be incredibly powerful to the people that are there, but also as a symbol of, you know, the work that your organization in in partnership with communities can do. So you've already alluded to it, but I really want to ask you a little bit more about COVID-19. So in what ways do you see the coronavirus and COVID-19, you know, impacting your work? Uh, and, And, you know, do you see it as an environmental justice issue?
2: Oh, without a doubt. Now you're about to get me talking. So I think even before the pandemic, we knew that these particular inequities throughout Cleveland, throughout the country existed, have existed. And COVID-19 has really just exacerbated everything that we already know. And that's unfortunate, right? You know, definitely those of us who do this work definitely did not want everything that we knew to come true, right? And so now we're in this moment where people are dealing with the impact of the pandemic, you know, not having or losing their jobs there's so many people unemployed. But when you look at this from an environmental justice lens and, and in particular park lens, and I was having this conversation with some of my colleagues is that we need to build parks and green space for health and with health in mind and not as a health benefit, right? And so as we design parks with communities, how are we creating spaces and places that help Mitigate some of the issues that we already know that these communities are dealing with, right? And also recognizing that our work does not stop. I feel like our work is more important now than ever. And also being empathetic to what our communities, the communities we work with, are dealing with and facing right now, right? Parks might not be top of mind for them right now, or access to the outdoors may not be top of mind to them right now. And so one of the things that we're doing in the stockyard in Clark Fulton neighborhood is creating a 16-page activity book that's going to keep their kids busy during this time, but also give us the information that we need um, to understand how they are experiencing parks in those particular neighborhoods and how we can creatively build and create a park that is going to serve them in the future, right? And so, you know, you have to have the ability to adjust during this moment and recognize where people are and meet them where they are. And I have an argument that the environmental justice, the environmental movement at large has not done a great job of meeting communities where they are. We always want communities to come to us. And I'm hoping that this moment can help change our approach to this work.
1: I love that idea of meeting communities where they are because you're right. That's the ultimate way to get people engaged in their own governance and in issues that are really important uh, to them if they know it yet or not. Uh, so you talked a lot about environmental inequalities. What are some new inequalities or ways in which existing inequalities are kind of being really highlighted because of COVID-19 and the coronavirus? And what are there other ways that the Trust for Public Land is trying to address these inequalities that are really being kind of shoved into the public uh, spotlight now? And I think unfairly, a lot of us take green space as that it's out there and everybody has access to it without thinking that that's not the case in all, in all spaces. So now that there's some attention being shed on this, how are you guys kind of using that as an opportunity to, to make some, some progress?
2: Well, I think we know from the data when it comes to COVID-19 that those communities who have higher um, heart disease rates have higher Uh, respiratory disease rates, those are also the communities that are impacted the most, both Black and brown communities. And I've even seen research uh, related to LGBTQ communities, right? These communities are also the communities that don't have access to green space, right? And that is by design. That's the legacy of our country, the legacy of racism, and also the legacy of redlining. And for us as an organization, you know, I mentioned earlier about meeting people where they are. As the governor, uh, as Governor Wine starts to open up places and people start going in places, I feel like we need to make sure that people are prepared, right? And so I started this hashtag mask, the number four community initiative, where we are working to provide 60,000 uh, washable cloth masks to community members in Cleveland and the city of East Cleveland so that people are prepared as they work, as they go shop, as they do whatever out in the community so that we are protecting ourselves. And thanks to the St. Luke's Foundation and the Cleveland Foundation, we have the resources to provide 33,000 masks. And next week, we will start assembling these kits. And the kits will include, of course, a mask, but also census information, vote-by-mail information. And then also, because the Trust for Public Land, we are A parks organization, we included a a coloring sheet so kids can color in their own park. And also, how do you be safe outside as you're visiting parks, you know, staying physically distant six feet away? We create parks. And so some people are probably like, why would the leader of the Trust for Public Land, you know, found and lead this mass work community effort? It's because at the root of everything we do with the Trust for Public Land is community. And we recognize when we work with community, we can't just be singularly focused on our work of creating a park. Our work has to understand and meet where people are. And this is one way that we are doing that. And I think that is just an example of how our work is changing a little bit, still focused on creating parks, still focused on greater access, but also recognizing the moment that we are in right now um, and how we need to serve those who are most susceptible to COVID-19.
0: It's so powerful. And I'm really excited to to see where this project goes. Kind of building on that, uh, the work that you all are doing, how, you know, so much of organizing and advocacy work is relationship building and being in community. How have things like the stay at home orders reshaped how you're doing that work in partnership with community, um, with other organizations? What does that look like for you all?
2: It's difficult because, you know, communities don't all have the same access to the internet, Wi-Fi, so it changes your dynamic. I think that's where we came up with the idea of the activity book, right? And so that's something that we can, you know, work with the local school district and organizations to mail that out to kids and families and create drop boxes at a central location so they can return them. I've seen organizations do Zoom meetings and happy hours and whatnot. I am in the middle right now. We're exploring text communication, right? And so people may not have access to their home via the internet or a computer, but most people have a cell phone where they can receive a text message, right? And so we're trying to change the way we communicate. The other thing I love is, you know, front porches, right? My husband and I intentionally bought a house with a front porch. Uh, we've been sitting on the front porch a lot and, you know, people walk by and say, hey, great job on your grass. That's a way to engage people. Or as we are going out on neighborhood walks, we can talk to people on their front porches. You know, there was a point in time in this country where we didn't have the internet, right? <laughs> and things still got done. And so I think it's just about going back to grassroots organizing and just, you know, basic communication with people, Right and having conversations. And that's really how we're uh, approaching our work here.
0: That's fantastic. In what I, I, You've alluded to this already, but in what ways has the pandemic made your work more urgent? Well, one, I feel like I'm busier now than ever.
2: I've always had a sense of urgency about my work. I would say that This time has allowed me to reach out to those who need to be influenced and have those quick 15, 30 minute conversations about, hey, you see what's going on in the world. Did you read this New York Times article about the power of the outdoors? This is why we should have greater access in Cleveland. Let's have an in-person conversation about that when we can have those in-person conversations, right? Or this is what's happening in X city and we can do this in Cleveland, right? And so I've been having lots of 15 and 30 minute conversations. But then also I'm constantly thinking about, you know, these 28 million kids who do not have access to a park within a 10 minute walk of their home. And I think that drive is in me and that reminder is in me to keep going and keep to having these in conversations with those influencers who have, the The money and the resources to really drive and and close that gap on the twenty eight million.
1: So we would love to hear some good news stories, good positive takeaways about things that are happening during this time. are Are there any that you can share with us? Um, I may, maybe this is a great time for kids to be outdoors and they've discovered playing outside again. <laughs> <laughs> that that they don't have to be inside playing video games all the time or whatever it is that they're doing. What are some positive news stories that we can take away from this?
2: Yeah, I mean, the good news is more when they have access, more people are outdoors than ever. And people are experiencing the power of being in nature and with nature, and I think that's that's amazing. And at the same time, you know, what's really great about this is it gives us a moment of pause. To understand the power of nature, the power of being in community with one another. Because when you can't go to the office and have that conversation about—I don't know if you all watched the last—the last dance about Michael Jordan. Like I don't have anyone to go talk to about that in the office. But um, you know, those sort of moments, those things create community, and I think that the missing of that and the yearning for that is actually powerful. If we can figure out a way to to leverage it, right? And the good thing, since this is um, this won't be broadcasting until after the press release that's happening tomorrow. So, the Trust for Public Land, uh, we rank the top 100 cities when it comes to parks, park access, park mini- amenities, park quality, and Cleveland has moved up on the list. We're number 29. Uh, we were number 35, and so that is some positivity that we can celebrate that our city is really moving forward when it comes to parks. And so that is a great moment for us to pause and celebrate too.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, it's a real testament to the work that you all are doing um, and other organizers across the Northeast Ohio that you've been able to kind of see that shift. So congratulations. (laughs) What do you want our listeners to take away from this discussion? Is there, is there anything that they can do to get involved, learn more? What, what do you want to share with them?
2: So if they want to learn more about TPL and our work, they can go to tpl.org Ohio um, that shares about the projects we've done in the past and things that we're working on right now. But your listeners podcast is about growing democracy. And I think that we can't forget the link between environmental justice and democracy. And you know, one of the things why we're one of the reasons why we're pushing people to complete the census is because if more people in your community complete the census, that's more resources for parks and to address these environmental injustices that we see in our community. And so democracy is an action word, right? And so we all should be active in our democracy um, because it's not going to work unless all of us participate, right? And so I encourage everyone to check their voter registrations. Make sure you're registered to vote this November. We don't know if we'll be dealing with you know, staying at home orders again. So apply for your vote by mail, ballot, complete your ballot at home and send it in. And the other thing, if you want to be involved in Mask for Community, you can check that out um, online. Hashtag mask the number four community or maskthenumber4community.com. And um, hopefully people would will be willing to support that effort as well.
1: Shell, thank you so much for joining us and sharing, honestly, the vital work that you're doing right now, uh, especially during this challenging time that you've become more motivated than ever to get the justice for the folks that really are deserving of it. And we appreciate you and we appreciate you coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having me, Ashley and Casey. And um, I wish you and your families nothing but health and wellness during this time and after. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Growing
1: Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan and my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. Join us next time when we talk to Hardy Kern, Animal Program
2: Specialist at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium,